Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence. And once again, we come here humbly as your church. And we lift each other up and we pray for the needs that we have within our own lives and within the lives of other people around us that we love dearly. And we pray now for John, Father, that you would guard him and protect him. Keep him safe. And I pray that you'd lead and guide him every step of the way, Father. Lord, we pray for this service, that you would open up your word to us, to challenge us, and help us, Father, to really come to understand the the whole point of this season and why we celebrate this. And, Father, we again, we just lift this time up to you. We thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? <clears throat> While everybody's sitting down, let me put a plug in for Tuesday night. We're going to have a... Um, Christmas Eve service on Tuesday night starts at 6. I want to encourage you to be here, okay? It won't last, but no more than an hour. I'll have you out here so you can get back to your families. Well, we've got a lot of specials and, and just a time of celebration. We're going to have communion, the candlelight service. So I just want to invite you to come back and bring somebody with you, okay? Because we've got a lot of people that are out of town visiting their families. So um, just want to invite you to bring somebody with you as you come back that night. I have, a, as you know, several grandchildren. One is Ashley. Ashley, when she was about five years old, now they live over in Midlothian, south of Dallas, she, was, she, she wanted to change her name. So she did. She just up and changed her name. She said, I'm, from now on, I'm Gabriella. And she wouldn't answer to anything else. I mean, her mother would call her Ashley, Ashley, just ignore her completely because she was determined she was going to change her name to Gabriella. And I think it was some cartoon character, I'm not sure. But she liked the name and decided she was just going to change it without asking anybody. And it didn't really matter what anybody thought because she was five years old and she was going to do it herself. So she did. But if you ever tried to call her Ashley, she would not answer <coughs> And it was just frustrating her mother to no end. She said, talking to the devil, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about this five-year-old kid who's basically running the house now, telling me what I'm supposed to call her and not answering to anything? Well, she came over to the house one time. They were there for the weekend. And Deborah and I had talked about buying them a dog. Uh, we had a or Deborah had a couple of dogs at the time, and I did not, but Deborah did. And um, Deborah wanted to give the grandchildren a dog, so she was talking to Joan and Brian about it, and they said, "Yeah." So I got Ashley up on my lap. I said, "Here's, here's the deal." I said, "Papa's going to buy you a dog, but the dog, I'm not buying one for Gabriella. I'm buying a dog for Ashley, so I'm only going to give it to Ashley." So I said, "Now tell me who you are." I'm Ashley. <laughs> From that point on, she never was called Gabrielle again. Never heard. Never Gabrielle never showed up anymore in the McGee household after that deal. But have you ever wanted to change your name? Uh, maybe you just didn't like it. You know, maybe people made fun of you in high school because your name rhymed with something, and they took off on that. They gave you a hard time in high school, but you just wanted to change it to something different. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to project up some names. of um, These are real names now, okay, that um, people have been given. And it, you'll see, you're just going to have to wonder what in the world were their parents thinking when they gave their children these names. Probably give me the first one up there, Mickey, would you? Albino. Now, this is a real name, okay? I'm sorry, Mickey's over here. I'm talking, okay, I got the wrong girl. All right, um, give me the next one. Just go down through them. Olive oil. Olive oil. Everybody remember that one? You remember who uh, 
that was okay. Now give me the next one. Anaconda. Anaconda, the snake. She was just a real snake. I didn't name her Anaconda. Give me this next one. Chipmunk. Again, these are real names, but you got to wonder what was mom and dad thinking. Here's my personal favorite. Put it up there. Fanny O'Rear. Now, I just, you know, I marvel at why any parent would name their child that, but they did. Here's the next one. I'm a hog. Here's the next one. This is a little guy coming up. Tadpole. And then here, you got to wonder about this one. Give me the last one. Nick Knack. Now, if your last name is Knack, why would you name your son Nick? It just makes no sense. But these are real names. And maybe as you've grown up, you've thought sometimes about changing your name because of the way it sounded or what people twisted it into being or whatever. Now, in the Bible, here's the ironic thing about it, because in the Bible, names were very important. Names mattered because they meant something. They all had meaning behind them. And a lot of times, parents would name their children something, and the name wasn't very... um, It didn't sound real good. I mean, you may not have normally named your child that, but you named them because of what that name meant. And it was almost like a prophetic utterance. I'm going to name you this because I'm expecting, I'm claiming in faith that you're going to grow up to be this person, uh, something to do with character or, or morality or something like that. Here are some of the names given to Jesus in the Bible because there are numerous names not only names, but terms that are used to refer to Christ in the Bible. And here are just some of them. For example, Christ, of course, was one of them. Messiah, the Anointed One, Son of God, the Son of Man. He was referred to a lot by the Son of Man. Both of those, I think, one's referring to deity, one's referring to humanity. Just expressing the reality that he was both. The Word... He was called of the Word. He was referred to as Rabbi, which was teacher. He was referred to as the Bread of Life, the Alpha and the Omega, the Angel of the Lord, the Son of David, the Door, the Good Shepherd. I mean, it goes on and on. Because all you've got to do is look through the Bible. In both the Old and New Testament, whether it's a prophecy or whether it was something that was told in the New Testament, he was referred to by many different names or terms, but one in particular has significant meaning. And it's found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Here it is. In Matthew 1, 23, it says, now this is the angel talking to Joseph, not Mary, but Joseph. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you've got to ask yourself this. Why in the world would an angel appear to, to Joseph and out of all the things to tell Joseph, the angel would say to him, you're going to have a son, he's going to be born of a virgin, and this is what you're to call him. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, here's the reason why I believe that God did it that way. Is because God wanted you to understand who exactly this is. Didn't want any confusion about who he was. God wanted you to know that this is me, God, coming down to live with you. I'm going to live among you. God with us. 
And every time you think of me, I need you to understand that I'm right here with you and I'm part of you and I'm, I'm living among you. Now, he wanted you to understand that he's not hiding up there in heaven somewhere, that he's not way out there in the cosmos where you're trying to reach him continuously because a lot of religions are like that. That God is out there somewhere and he doesn't really care and you're constantly trying to make contact. So you're praying through, you're pleading and you're begging, God, please show up. And what he wants you to understand is that Emmanuel, God is with us already. He wants you to understand that this child that is born is not a God. It's not less than God. This is God. Now, we understand in our, in our Christianity, our faith, that there's a trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are God, deity. Can't explain that. Nobody can. But this is a part of that deity, and he is no less God. Now, the reason this is important is because, you know, we get caught up in the Christmas idea of, of the baby being born and, and so forth. And um, Nathan alluded to this earlier, that sometimes we lose focus of just who it is. We're all caught up in the emotion of the child and the tenderness and the peace and all of this that comes with a new birth and all, all of that. But we lose sight of the fact of who this really is. And the angel told Joseph, I want you to call him and I want him to be referred to as Emmanuel because I want you to understand the significance of that that God is with you. Nobody else but God. Now see, we read over that and we don't think much about it and it doesn't really matter to us that much, but it is important. Let me read you a couple of verses because if there's ever a passage, I guess, in Scripture that explains exactly who he was, it's found in the first chapter of John. I'm just going to read two verses out of that. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff in this uh, chapter, but let me read you these two verses. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you jump down to verse 14, and it gives you more of an explanation. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. There's a lot in those two verses. Because in the beginning was the Word, which was Jesus, because in a moment it tells you he became flesh and dwelt among us. So it identifies who he was. He was there in the beginning. Do you realize that it goes on to say in this passage that there was not anything made or created that wasn't made by him? that he preexisted before he was ever born, and that he is the Word. Why do you think that he is called in Scripture or referred to as the Word? Why do you think that? Let me tell you what I think. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm just throwing out an idea here. But it's almost as if everything that God wanted you to know, God the Father wanted you to know about himself, he expressed it or explained it in Jesus. Jesus kept saying, okay, I'm here, and if you want to know what the Father is like, all you've got to do is look at me. If you want to know what the Father wants and desires, just listen to what I'm telling you, because I'm speaking his words 
And I am basically the expression of God the Father, whom you cannot see, but you can see me. And I am God. And I am Emmanuel. And I'm right here with you. Now, this just blows my mind. And it changes everything from this, the way in which we approach Christmas so many times. And we approach it as some focusing on the, on the baby without understanding and realizing the significance of what that baby meant and why he came and, and so forth. Today what I want to do is to tell you or to go through some scenarios in life where this really matters. Emmanuel, God with us, so what? So what? So what I want to do is share with you five scenarios of life. We go through and we face, and we're all going to face them at some point in life. And so this truth that God is with you, God is with us, God lives here, God is among us, then this ought to enter into that. And it ought to change the way we look at it. It ought to change the way we go through it in the way that we experience it. So let me throw these out to you because I, the question is this. When in the world does this, this teaching that God is with you really matter? Well, number one, it matters when you are lonely. It matters when you're lonely. Let me read you this verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I'm reading part of this now. It says that God has said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Again, it's one of those verses we read over and we just, like, it just goes in one ear and out the other. It's just one of those things the Bible says. But let me tell you this. If you are widowed here today, and you can be male or female, you've lost your spouse. You know what it is like to be alone. I had a friend of mine up in Indiana who lost his spouse. I had a great marriage long marriage, and she died of cancer. And I can remember him talking to me about it and telling me, he said, to, to describe it, he said, I go back into the house, he said, and the silence is deafening. He said, because there's a big hole. <laughs> She's not there. So loneliness, absolutely. But here's, what's the answer then to loneliness? For a person who's lost their mate, or who, a person who is single, or a person who's lying in a hospital bed, and there's no family members to come around and, and love on them, and they're there all alone. For a person who goes to a new school and doesn't know anybody, and it feels like everybody knows everybody except you, and you're like an island out there all by yourself and you're lonely. What's the answer to loneliness? Emmanuel. God is with you. And the angel wanted Jacob or Joseph to understand that. He wants you to understand that, that I am there with you. Now, think about this. When Christ lived, he died, he was resurrected, and he ascended into heaven. And after that, God sent the other part of the Trinity to be with you. So whether you're thinking of Jesus being with you, which he says he is in spirit, or whether the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter because God says, I am there. That's what Emmanuel means. And so whenever you are alone and you feel lonely, then I am there. Just turn to me. Because I didn't abandon you. You're not alone. 
It's one of the hardest things for us to comprehend that the God of the universe cares enough about you to be there for you. Here's another scenario of life when it matters that God is with you, and that is when you're afraid. When you're afraid. Oh, man, how many times have you been afraid of something going on in life? Let me read you this verse. In Psalms chapter 4, verse 8, this is David, the psalmist, and he says this. Now listen carefully. He says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm going to lay down and sleep tonight, Lord, and I'm going to do it in peace because you are the only one that can make me dwell in safety. Now, do you know the circumstances of that when he said that? Well, it seems like everybody in the country wanted to kill David. They were mad at him over something. His enemies were on the borders ready to close in. And the people of Israel, God's people, were living sinful lives. And he was all torn up about that. And he says, but here's the thing, Lord. Because I know that you're with me, I'm going to lie down in a peaceful sleep tonight. And I'm not going to be afraid. Because I know that Emmanuel is here. Probably five or six years ago, and I've told you this before, Deborah got a report back from her doctor after her exam and said that she was um, full of tumors in her breast and that she had to go down to MD Anderson because they were just about sure that it was cancer. And so this couldn't be scheduled for a few days, and so for a few days we agonized over this. And uh, talk about afraid, <laughs> you know, scared to death as to what is going to happen and what this means. She went down and she was there uh, an entire day, maybe longer, having biopsies and mammograms and all these different tests that the, the hospitals up here couldn't do. And they finally determined that there were just cysts and there was nothing there. We were just praising the Lord. But i got to tell you something. You talk about um, something shattering or shaking your faith. You know, let the doctor give you a diagnosis like that. And all of a sudden, fear just overwhelms you. And you can't cope almost. Every one of us, no matter what the situation, we're going to face a time in life where we're going to be scared to death because we can't control it. See, if we can control it, we're not very much, not as much afraid of it. But if I can't control it, man, it scares me to death. And see, it's then that the answer to my fear is this one word again, Emmanuel. Because I've got to back up and I've got to reassess things and I've got to come to the conclusion that right here in the middle of all of this mess that I'm going through... What I'm ever I'm afraid of, that God is still there. God didn't abandon me. He never will. And we look at our lives sometimes and we think, how could God still love me, given what I'm, I've done? But God says, Emmanuel, I want you to understand this. He said, I want you to understand what this means, that I am with you. I'm among you. I live in you. And so whatever it is that's scaring you, your safety your sickness, your income, your bank account, whatever. The answer to the problem is Emmanuel. Now here's another scenario, and that is this. It matters when you are grieving. It matters when you're grieving. And this is important because this is one of the things we all go through. 
a lot of times, more often than not, is when we get older because we start losing people. But sometimes, even when we're young, we grieve over not just the death of a loved one, but other things that happen in life. And it's just grief. Let me read you this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians. It said, chapter 1, it's verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Who comforts us in our troubles. All right. Back when we were in Indiana, and I'm sure I've probably told you this story before. This is one of the good things about getting old. You don't remember, so I can just tell you again. It's kind of like hiding your own Easter eggs, you know. When we get older, we can do those sort of things. But um, back when I was back in Indiana, I'm sitting at church one night in the office, and it's on a Wednesday night, and I get a call from a gentleman that goes to our church, and he was a police officer. And he says to me, Pastor, he says, Dustin, and he gave his last name, he said, Dustin was just killed on, out here on the highway in a head-on collision. Now, Dustin was a 16-year-old boy. He said, will you go with me to notify the family? I said, sure, I'll go with you. So we went, we pulled up into the driveway, and I can see the mother at the kitchen sink through the window, and I'm thinking to myself, just in just a few minutes, her life is going to change forever. And it did. We go in and I share with her that, you know, he had been in an accident and he was dead. And we grieved together and we cried together. And then she wanted to know if she could go see the body. So I said, sure, we'll take you to the funeral home and we'll go see the body. So we go back into the back. And there he is laid out with a sheet over him and it wasn't a scratch on him. He had broken his neck in this wreck and that was all. And he wasn't banged up, beat up, or bruised up. And she sat there, kissing on him, crying over him. What seemed like an hour, just a few minutes. I mean, I'm crying, the policeman's crying, we're all crying. To this day, I'll see on Facebook where she still talks about him. It's a long time ago. That's grief. See, that's what grief does. Because when you love deeply, you grieve deeply. God says this. Grief is part of life. But you don't have to grieve like others who have no hope. Because grieving for you is different. We cry and we weep and we console each other. But the difference is Emmanuel. And because he's with us, even grieving is different. Guys, you're going to go through it. At some point in life, you're going to grieve over something. Half of you in here will grieve over the loss of your mate. Because one of you is going to go first, if you haven't already. And it's going to be hard. But the answer to the problem, the answer to the grief, is that God is there. And when that angel appeared to Joseph, that's what he wanted him to understand. You go tell the world. You call him Emmanuel because I want them to understand who he is. 
There's a passage in Isaiah. Listen to this. This is in Isaiah 43, verses 2 through 3. Here's what it says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know what catches my attention in this verse? He said, you're going to go through the rivers. You're going to go through the waters. And you're going to go through the fire. But the answer to all of that is that I'm there with you. Guys, I don't, there is no remedy for the problems of life other than Emmanuel. There isn't any. What can I do? Nothing. I can't give you a, a, a magic potion, a magic verse, a magic sun. There's no magic here. It's just you and me walking through life together understanding that God is here with me, that the God who created the universe is here with me, and that is so hard for us to imagine. But it is true. And that's what the angel wanted Joseph to understand and what he wanted him to convey to us. Here's another scenario, and that is this. When you feel inadequate, it matters whenever you feel inadequate. All of us at some point in time feel inadequate in something that we're called to do. Let me read you this verse. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is, I love the book of Joshua. I mean, you you put yourself in Joshua's position. He's following in the footsteps of Moses. All that Moses did, Joshua now picks up the gauntlet and takes it on. That's tremendous burden on this man. And here's what God says to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Oh. Okay, Joshua, don't be afraid. You're going to take over from Moses and you've got two or three million people back here behind you moaning and complaining about everything. And take them out there and defeat the enemy and don't worry about a thing. Why not, God? Because Emmanuel. Because I'm going to be right there with you. And so don't worry. Guys, I have been the pastor in Florida. I've been a pastor in, in Texas before. I was a pastor in Indiana. Now I'm back here again as pastor. And I'm going to tell you something. There has never been one time in my life that I have not felt inadequate. Ever. I have never felt that, yeah, I had it all together or I had it under control or I could do this. Never. I have continually, and it started early on when I took my first ministry, coming to the realization that I can't. I've always had to live under this truth and keep reminding myself of this truth. That God is with you. And if He fail, then it's God that failed. If you succeed, then it's God that succeeds. It is Emmanuel. That's the reason. 
And you have got to understand that because you are going to be put in situations, whatever it may be, whether it be a new ministry on the mission field, going to college for the first time, uh, getting married, whatever you face, this a new experience in life, you're probably going to be scared to death and not feel adequate. And what you've got to do is step back and say, okay, who's in charge here? Emmanuel. God's with me. Over and over and over again in the Bible, that's what God said is the answer to your problem. Why can't we learn that? But I'm just like you. Sometimes we're scared. Sometimes we, we just grieve uncontrollably because we think the world has come to an end. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're worried. All these things that happen in life, and God says, I'm still here. I'm still here. I haven't left you, nor will I ever. One final area where it matters that Emmanuel exists and is true. And that is that it's important when you're lost. It's important when you're lost. Listen to this. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here's the verse, and here's what it says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek you out and to save you, and he did it by becoming a baby, growing up and having a body to go and die on a cross for you. That's the reason it all took place. Only God can bring salvation. Only God could have done this. An angel couldn't have done it for you. A good person couldn't have done it for you. Nobody other than God himself could have been the perfect sacrifice. And so God sent his son... In essence, God is there. He took on flesh and he died on the cross for you. Emmanuel. And he says to you and me that whoever turns to me in faith and believes me and accepts that, I will give them eternal life. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why? How can that possibly be true? Because of Emmanuel. God did it. God did it. It's not about you. And as we go through this Christmas holiday, this Christmas time of the year, I want you to forget about the presents, forget about the gifts and the tree and the trappings and the food and the family and everything else that goes with it. Not that those things aren't important because we all enjoy them. But try to focus on what it's all about. The whole thing here about Christmas is this, that God came down to be with you and to save you and to give you peace, joy, love, all of the things that were told in Scripture. And it only happens for one reason, Emmanuel. And that, my friend, is what God wanted Joseph to understand and what he wanted to convey to the world. And we need to remind ourselves of that. In every point in life, we need to remember that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we are reminded of the truth of this. And Father, I ask that each one of us, as we enter into this season of the year, this this holiday, that God, you would impress upon our hearts again the importance of it. Not the trappings, but what it represents the truth of Emmanuel, that you humbled yourself and came down here to be with us.
And Father, we thank you for that. We love you and we praise you and we honor you and we worship you here at Christmas because of Emmanuel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.